The HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. Jazzcast Pros. Hi, my name is Charlene Jacay Gray. I was living in Buffalo. I'm in Rochester now. But I remember the lawmakers that pushed for that tops to be built. Um, Beverly Gray, she was my sister-in-law. She was the one. She ran for mayor against Mayor Maciola. And that was her campaign slogan, that there will be a tops in that area because there was nowhere for the elderly black community to go shopping without getting rides, catching buses, and made a plea. They got tops to put that tops there. You know, even though what happened in there was devastating, it's our tops. Yes. And it hurts so bad because I used to shop in that tops every Saturday and Sunday. That's that's the thing. You go to church and you go and you do your thing. Like you go to choir rehearsal or you go to church meeting, you go to prayer meeting, and then you go to talk. So we want to talk a little bit today about the importance of having access to food, how it impacts our health, how systemic racism, historical racism has created some of these problems and continue to fuel these problems. And also some of the things that we're doing here with the Buffalo Center for Health Equity on our Igniting Hope podcast, just about the impact, the impact of, of our folks not having access to, to healthy food. What does that do to our, to not only our physical, but our, our mental health? And then in Buffalo, we create this uh, narrative that we are a city of good neighbors, but yet we have children and adults who are really struggling not only to get food, access to food, but then getting access to healthy food. Welcome everyone to our Igniting Hope podcast. This is Pastor George Nicholas, who I have just the privilege of being the chair of the African American Health Equity Task Force and Buffalo Center for Health Equity. And today we have a, a really important uh, conversation we want to have. It's about food. Our last podcast, we talked with uh, Aunt Connie, her ministry, her work of making sure people in the community understand how to properly feed themselves, talk about the things that impact their bodies and the things they put in their bodies. And we're going to kind of extend and continue that conversation today with someone that's very familiar in our community, uh, Rita Hubbard Robertson, who is the chair and CEO, owner, operator of Project Rainfall, also uh, a leader with the uh, African-American Health Equity Task Force and with the Buffalo Center for Health Equity. And, but more importantly, just a person who, who has demonstrated over her time here in Buffalo, her commitment to the health and welfare of our people and, and our community. And when you think about Western New York, you see that there's about 56,000 people who lack access to a supermarket. And when we talk about that, it's, it's having a supermarket within maybe about a half a mile from your home. 
Um, and then, so that's, you think about that over Western New York. And if you were to try to drill that down and concentrate that on the east side of Buffalo, where, where about 80% of black people live, those numbers would go, that percentage would go up. And we know that there are about 80,000 children in Western New York that are food insecure. And again, those are like Western New York numbers. And But we know that a large percentage of that, or, or there's a much more intensity in terms of lack of access to food found right in, in the African-American community, right in the communities where a lot of our, our people live. One of the terms that, that I like to use, um, you know, sometimes people will call those food deserts. I don't because a desert is something that was, you know, created out of natural phenomena. I call it food apartheid because these numbers, these, these disparities, these lack of access to healthy food, those aren't by divine actions, they're by human policies. So we want to talk a little bit today about the importance of having access to food, how it impacts our health, how systemic racism, historical racism has created some of these problems and continue to fuel these problems, and also some of the things that we're doing here with the Buffalo Center for Health Equity to address those things. So Rita, it's good to be in conversation with you again. Can you just kind of share with our, our listeners today on our Igniting Hope podcast just about the impact, the impact of, of our folks not having access to, to healthy food? What does that do to our to not only our physical, but our, our mental health? And what are some of the things that are, are driving that and how we can change it? Sure. Well, thank you so much for this platform. I think it's an important platform. We, I think it's important to have these conversations out in the public space with our community. And I hope that people continue to follow the podcast and what uh, the movement that we are fueling, uh, because we've been at it for a few years now, and uh, we're going to continue uh, in this space. And it, it's a wide space, because when we talk about social determinants of health, we're talking about those things that are root causes to the outcomes that we're experiencing in our city, in our country, and even has some global tentacles as well when it comes to Black and brown people around the world. But specifically around what I, I talk about, and I'm uh, really interested in food, ag, and nutrition. They're all connected. Ag as in agriculture, growing food with uh, the high prices of food and uh, even the uh, lack of access to healthful food in our communities, even when you go to the store and you look at the, it, when you get into a supermarket and you look at the difference in price in organic food and regular food, why should there even be a disparity in types of food when you go to the supermarket? There's this, there's a line and and so cooking your own food, growing your own food, things that really are historically ours as a people, why they stole us from the motherland in the first place, we've lost this. These are root causes to some of the outcomes that we're experiencing. I remember when I uh, ran a, a radio show called Millennium, Millennium Health Radio Show, Millennium Health Matters Radio Show a few years ago, and we had... Uh, Dr. Alan Lessie on the show. It was in the February of 2020, and uh, he came on to talk about this novel virus called uh, Coronavirus 19, and it was a, a new novel, new virus on the scene that was 
coming into our country and it was said to spread that it would be spreading across the country. And at the time, all eyes were on California and uh, the breakout in California, but it was said that it was going to be coming across the country and into New York State, even New York, uh, Buffalo, New York. And when he began to describe the people that would be most vulnerable to this virus, he said those who had heart conditions, heart disease, cardiovascular disease, those who had diabetes, those who are obese, those who are uh, suffering you know, from malnutrition and other food-related illnesses. My eyes got bigger and bigger and bigger in the studio because we were in person in the studio at the time. And I was thinking to myself, oh my God, that could wipe out 60% of the Black people in the city of Buffalo. Why? Because our communities in great numbers suffer from malnutrition, basically, uh, diseases that have been, uh, that could be addressed with better nutrition, more understanding around nutrition and how the body works. So this is just a revelation maybe to some, but we've been working in this space for many years. I started years ago when I worked for Erie County Medical Center, a farmer's market, and I did a lot of learning on the asphalt there across the street from the farmers, from the uh, hospital. Just because you build it, people might not come because they're stuck. They're stuck in poverty. They're stuck in lack of knowledge. They're stuck with a palate that doesn't really default to healthful foods. And they have, you know, uh, maybe monthly income and other things that really uh, maybe large families or multiple families living under one roof uh, or uh, aged grands taking care of children. So you really are, are looking at a, a multiple of things that are really creating a, a situation where a lot of uh, our community are, are stuck, are stuck in this vacuum. So uh, some of the things that I've been working on, as I said, I started a farmer's market years ago with a modicum of success. And then uh, I was involved in, in bringing a project back. I, I visited Louisville, Kentucky in 2019 and brought back a project called, uh, I mean, excuse me, 2009. <laughs> 2009, that's how long ago I uh, brought back this project called Healthy, in Louisville, it's called Healthy in a Hurry Corner Store. And by 2015, I was able to get it some legs and uh, uh, we put together a project called Healthy Corner Store Initiative. It was recently on the on the news celebrating um, about seven years of of traction now uh, from 2015 to the present. And they're actually evolving and, and re redeveloping an outside appearance for these stores so that they become more of a beacon in the community in a physical way. But what really what's most important to these healthy corner stores is that what's in the store. Uh, these, this, these stores that might've been spots where you might get a beer or you know play the lottery game or get some candy or some soda pop are becoming uh, a, oh, and, oh, oh, an oasis or, or a variety of oasis. We started with two stores in the university district in 2015, and we're, I think we're up to 13 stores, uh, and that initiative is being led by Sheila Bass uh, from Cornell Cooperative Extension. I'm really proud of her efforts and that of the healthy, healthy food community advocates that 
are people who are live in the community, embedded in the community, have been trained about uh, the chronic conditions that our community suffers from and the importance of healthful eating and then becoming acquainted with these stores and helping people to navigate these stores and even perhaps build a better trust relationship with the stores and store owners. So we have a lot to do. We have come some uh, part of the way in this space and we have a long way to go. Um, I could go on. We, we in uh, 2020 recognized that uh, people were becoming more disconnected from access to food, access to jobs, uh, and more food insecure than they had ever been. And so at Lincoln Church, we uh, stood up a food pantry, which had been a very small emergency pantry, maybe serving five families a month. We started at about 25 people a week, and now we're close to 250 people a week. <laughs> but what's novel about this work, this ministry, is that it is a healthy, healthful food bag of food. And we hope to build some some evaluation around that so that we can understand whether we're actually making an impact, not just in the pocketbooks of the community, because we know we are having a financial blessing, you know, creating a financial blessing for people so that they can maybe stretch their budget dollar, but they're getting a healthful food, a bag of food, and maybe we have them just where we need them to be. And that is to do some learning and, and to build some some habits around the kinds of foods that, that they're putting in their body. I can go on, but I'll let you ask another question. So, you know, we, I want to make sure people understand the, the, this term. We talk about food insecurity. How do we define that, that someone's food insecure? I mean, just in, in general terms. Just in general terms, if you're eating less than a meal a day, you are extremely food insecure. If you're uh, eating just a meal a day, you are food insecure. And so uh, if you're going to the supermarket and you're making decisions to buy food that maybe isn't meant for humans, you are food insecure. If you are relying on a pantry, this is making you more secure because the pantry exists, but you are you, this is not a, a condition that's sustainable. You you are food insecure. So if your children are hungry on the weekend because they uh, don't have a lunch hour at the school, a breakfast hour at the school, you are food insecure. Your children are food insecure. And many, many people, our seniors and uh, adults and children are food insecure. Even with a food bank, we have a lot of people who are disconnected with food. And then one of the things that happens, and it's not a criticism of the food pantry or food uh, giveaway programs that are happening in many of our community-based organizations and, and churches, but the reality is we have a lot of people in community who have hypertension, have diabetes, have heart disease, all kinds of different uh, chronic diseases that actually what you eat can feed the disease. So you at so, so at one point you're at some point you're you're feeding your body because you're hungry because you haven't eaten and you have to eat. I get that. But then sometimes some of the food that is readily given away, right? So is really not food that's it, it could be actually causing more harm than good. And so how do we shift that? I mean, there's in a civilized society, in a society where you know, if we look at it from a moral context where we talk about, uh, 
you know, America trying to present itself as a Christian nation or have values we, we have on our dollars in God we trust. And, and then in Buffalo, we create this uh, narrative that we are a city of good neighbors. We've had literally millions and millions of dollars coming into systems like cities and counties and school districts. And then now we just recently saw the state of New York investing almost nearly a billion dollars into uh, building a ball stadium. But yet those same dynamics, we have children and adults who are really struggling not only to get food, access to food, but then getting access to healthy food. So can you talk a little bit about like how policy, I mean, how we, so the answer is it more food pantries, right? So, so we, we at our first fruits food pantry are doing this because, you know, uh, it's like, think, I think about it in the biblical context about it's a, a transitional blessing, right? That like when God rained manna down from heaven, it wasn't the belief or the thought that this was going to be their sustainability plan, right? It was getting them to a place where that was going to be fertile for them so that they could begin to work the land and, and, and put benefit. And so it would seem to me that this issue about food insecurity, it's not that hard to fix if we just have the will to do it. Yeah, there's a lot, little bit there to unpack. Well, one of the things I think that's really important is knowledge and education. I think many people are, you know, around the idea of making donations to pantries, you know, they're good people, quote unquote, they want to do good. Uh, and they have a, a, a sort of a charitable heart. And that's a good thing. I think it's good for people to care about others. But I think that we just have a disconnect about food generally as an American citizen. We think opening up a box of Kraft macaroni and cheese for our kids is a loving thing to do. And it is not. I think that the, well, I know that the ad uh, profession is doing a great job at selling us a bill of goods, selling us, you know, you know, I don't want to name the brand of, of, of uh, soda pop, but uh, there are pop and they make it look so good when it's pouring out of the can and into your glass over some ice. And you know, creating this image Coke, of Coke adds life. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It takes life. I wasn't going to say that. Well, I'll yeah. say it. <laughs> so, and, and then the, the same for, you know, other, you know, even intoxicating beverages yeah, and other yeah, things yeah. like that. So there is a disconnect from understanding what food is, that it is not something manufactured in a lab, you know, how food works in your body. People don't understand that at all. And so when you ask people to provide charity, the three for one can or the three for, you know, three boxes for a dollar, you know, become the easy fix thinking that, oh, something is better than nothing. And as you just described, that some foods can be poisonous even if you have diabetes eating, you know, some a cake and bread and, and some potatoes on the side is like poison. To your body. Because the so, potatoes turn into sugar in your body. Okay. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And bread turns into sugar. Uh, anything, you know, your white foods generally turn into sugar, but that's not the only thing. You know, sugar itself is addictive. Just sugar itself. Is, that's why they call it sugar cane, right? <laughs> because it is addictive. And, and when we give our children in the public school system high sugary stuff, 
but it also creates an addiction in their body. That's right. And they start their morning. I remember working at ECMC is driving down the street and seeing the kids at eight o'clock in the morning, 745, walking down the street with a honey bun and a huge uh, sweet iced tea from Mickey D's across the street from their school. So they're already jacking up their, their sugars in their body, preparing themselves for diabetes, preparing themselves for kidney failure. Uh, in their older ages. So that is sort of the backdrop of just the general public and their idea around food. And then there's us. This is not a scientific research that I am sharing, but an author of the book is called Salt Kills. He talks about the manufactured creation of persons with hypertension in our country and how when and during slave trade the slave handlers would lick the face of the slaves to see if they had salt content in their sweat and if they had salt content that they'd put them back on the ship and bring them up from the west indies to to the main continent and so you know we have this also as a backdrop that we have persons that were traded and put in to the northern parts of our United States by man and and these these artificial creation of salt intolerant persons have been put into our area by the manipulation of, of human traffic. And uh, you add to that all these salty foods that are in the corner stores and all the high salty foods in, you know, on the shelves and boxes and in the freezer section in the supermarket. And it just creates this uh, real poisonous uh, system that we live with. And so, you know, you say to somebody, you know, hey, you know, maybe you want to improve the healthy leafy greens in your diet. And they look at you like, what? I don't think so. I'm going to eat this bag of chips right here because uh, because salt is also addictive. And they make these bags, these huge bags of potato chips at $5 a bag, so addictive. You can't eat just one or two chips. You want to eat the whole thing. Makes sense. Can't eat just one. So they, they, they plant it in your, and they plant it in your mind psychologically. And then your body physiologically craves that stuff, man. And this is so real. Well, it's, it's, it's the artificial advertisement, but it's also the way they actually manufacture that chip. The ides, the various IDEs that they put into these foods that make you want to continue to eat the food, like monosodium glutamate, MSG, you know. So um, these are the things. So how do we get around that? What are things that we can do? And this is why I'm really so excited about all of our gardening projects. We recently were funded by the uh, Rite Aid Foundation to uh, build out some children's gardens, and we're going to be doing that along with adult gardens with our reach initiative which is which is racial and ethnic approaches to community health we have a garden at lincoln church there is a garden also at, at cold springs bible chapel there's also a garden being developed across the street from upper room church of god in christ on jefferson near northland and then this year we're also going to be putting in probably about four beds at agape church so we know we know that we can get back knowledge about our proclivity to to grow food. Once we put our hands in the soil, we become 
reignited, re, uh, reconnected, and re-centered as a people. This is our our legacy to the earth, and we we have an opportunity to really you know have a relationship, a positive relationship with the soil. And as uh, my friends in Rochester uh, at the Soul Fire Farm talk about, the crime was committed at the soil, but it wasn't the soil's fault. So that we need to really think about how we can get around inflation, grow our own food, beautify our homes outside in our neighborhoods and community with flowers and other ornamental plants, and also increase the environment with oxygenating plants and life. So let me just kind of frame it this way, because we have about five minutes. Food, feeding ourselves, feeding our communities as a tool of resistance and liberation, right? To understand that the part of the condition of Black folks living in America, living in a city where about 40% of the Black people, Black people live in poverty. We've done the work with the Buffalo Center for Health Equity to show that 10 to 12 lost years of life in certain communities uh, for Black folks compared to white people in other communities. We already have data, and we're getting more and more data to show you, to prove that this is not, you know, Chicken Little telling you the sky is falling. This is real stuff that is having a real-time impact on not only the length of the life of our people, but the quality of life of our people. However, it is something that absolutely can be changed, right? This can be changed. This can be changed not only through your own personal behavior, because, you know, it, we, we don't want to put all the emphasis on, well, you know, individuals, you just have to make better choices, but we have to create a community in which people are, are equipped to make those choices. That's why I started off with this notion of, of food of food apartheid and the lack of access of, for venues. And then when you have uh, such high poverty numbers and unemployment numbers, then it impacts the ability for people to purchase the healthy food that they need for themselves and their families. And then when we have housing issues, you know, so you're talking about homes with the kinds of kitchens and refrigerators and stoves and the things that are necessary. And all these things can be impediments, but each one of them can be addressed by policy. That's why it's so important that we engage policymakers from the governors to the county level, to the city level, to the federal level, because there's all this money coming in to municipalities, and we must make sure there's a significant investment in creating more access, right? And access is not just venue, but access is also the capacity of the individual to take advantage of, of what the venue has to offer that will begin to start moving the needle on this. There's some other partners that we have, Rita, that we work with in the community, and let's Let's shout them out a little bit because they're out there on the front lines doing some really important work to break down these barriers around food access. So I'll say a couple things in that space. One is, is that we recognize that food costs money. And unless we have some drivers for wealth development, that people will have to just rely on charity. And we know that that is something that has to change. And I want to acknowledge that. Also want to uh, give a shout out to my friends and at the Buffalo Food Equity Network. There's many of us working in this space, including Connie. We, we love her work. Allison Dahoney and the Go Green uh, project that she has going on with 
healthy fruits, urban fruits and veggies, as well as Alex uh, Wright and uh, his African uh, heritage co-op, Alexa Wajed. She's a great chef and she does cooking classes for us. I'll give a shout out to uh, Rachel Laster and her work with us at the pantry and also her work over at uh, Duval College is, and, and as her work as a dietitian, she does free dietetic uh, consultations for people all of the time. She's just generally concerned about the health of our community. Uh, there are just so many uh, folks out there working in the space around food. And um, Sheila, again, and her work at the corner store. Our partners, uh, Danny Benning over, Pastor Benning over at Herb, uh, Upper Room and Pastor Kenny over at Cold Spring and now Pastor Willie Pulliam and yourself, Pastor George. And we just really appreciate uh, the openness of the church family to the need to uh, reach out to the community and provide supports around food. I just want to say that this is a food system issue. It's growing food. It's soil, healthy soil for food. It's what's happening at the supermarket. It's happening at the restaurant. And it's just a lack of knowledge uh, that's going on. So anything that you can do to equip yourself with knowledge around food, what you're putting into your body, what your what your health condition is. If you haven't seen a doctor, you need to know your health so that you know how to eat and what to eat. And Take advantage of your nutritionist at your doctor's office, you know, so that you can eat food that's going to bring life to your body. And of course, we're at the food pantry every Saturday from 10 to 12 and every Tuesday from four to six. If you need a bag of groceries, do stop by. And there's just so much more that I could talk about, but I know that we're running short. Yeah. Well, we're going to, you know, certainly, I mean, this is one of the good things. This is our podcast. So we're going to talk about what we want to talk about and as many times as we want to talk about it. So we're going to actually have you certainly back on and we're going to have Allison and Alexa and and Alex and all these, Sabina, we're going to have them all on here. Rebecca, oh yeah, Rebecca. So there's a lot of folks out there that, so please, I would encourage you when when they're coming into your communities, when they're listen to what they have to say, and don't accept, don't accept that you can't make changes within your own habits. You can't. You need to. We all need to. We all need to. We're not trying to say, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't sit up here and eat grass every day. But but you've got to understand balance. You've got to understand what certain things may be doing to your body and, and not do those things. And then we also have to make sure that public investments, we have a great opportunity now, but this creates an opportunity for us to create a new reality, a new reality so that uh, we're healthier as a people. So, and that's what we're going to commit to. So if you have any questions or want information or share anything with us, go to our website, buffalohealthequity.org, buffalohealthequity.org. You'll be able to find information on our website about some of these issues uh, as it relates to uh, food insecurity, some of the work that we're doing, links to some other folks that are doing some great things in our community. We're pressing this issue and we're gonna press a lot of issues because we love you. We love our people enough to advocate for policy changes. They're gonna put us in positions to live a more prosperous and healthy life, but also to encourage us to get the knowledge on some of the things that we can do within our own spaces 
to keep ourselves healthy and really keep our children uh, healthy as well, as well as our seniors, you know, to things that they can do in terms of, of diet change to make the the August of their years more fruitful and productive. So this is Pastor George Nicholas, the sharing with you today with our Igniting Hope podcast. And we're so grateful to have with us our friend Rita Hubbard Robinson. And so we're going to sign off now and we'll look to connect with you again on our next podcast. And if you go to our website, buffalohealthequity.org, you'll be able to pull this podcast down as well as the others that we've had in the past. And I know there's a a process where you can like and share and do all those things. So if you hear something that, that is a blessing to you, that's helping you, just don't hold it to yourself. Share it with your friends, share it with your neighbors, uh, because we're building a movement here, not only for the survival of our people, but for the liberation of our people as well. God bless you. We love you. Thanks for listening. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive, who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm gonna do this to protect myself. Do it for them, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforumc.org. Lucky Land Slots, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.